The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. Basketball Society. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Atlantic Files, the number one podcast on the number one division in the NBA, brought to you by BasketballSocietyOnline.com and the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. Without further ado, I am your host, Alex Fishbein, and let's jump into this week's episode. So, last week, we talked a good bit about... The coaching searches going around in the NBA, um, the uh, Brett Brown getting fired, and we talked a little bit about the first round playoff series between both the Celtics and the Sixers and the Nets and the Raptors. So this week we are going to be talking a good bit of playoffs. We're going to be talking about the uh, Raptors and the Celtics series. Um, one thing we're going to touch on just a tiny bit, but we're going to talk about actually next week when we bring on a guest or two, uh, is the Brooklyn Nets hiring of Steve Nash. So let's, I just want to touch on that real quick. The hiring of Steve Nash was definitely out of the box. It was definitely surprising. I mean, nobody really saw that coming at all. Um, nobody really even knew that Steve Nash was even in the race, in like the head coaching candidacy race. Um, however, I think it uh, off rip is a great hiring. Um, I, I think that this hiring definitely shows that KD and Kyrie were kind of directing the the uh, direction that this head coaching search went. He is definitely a guy that's going to command a lot of respect as he's an NBA legend. And on top of that, I know KD got to work with him at Golden State. So there's a lot of relationships that could have been built. There's a lot of things that could have happened in that time. So I think that's really a reflection of what the players wanted rather than where the um, front office was going. And especially if they keep Jacques Vaughn on as an assistant, I think that shows that the front office likes him, but the players might have wanted to go somewhere else. But, again, we will touch on that more next week. This week. So, I want to talk a little bit about the Raptors-Celtics series. Now, last year, we predicted, like, gave our predictions for... You know, the Eastern Conference Finals, Western Conference Finals, the people who will be in the championship, who will win it all, awards, so on and so forth. Neither of us, I'm talking myself and Mike Bash, uh, neither of us predicted either the Raptors nor the Celtics to be in the Eastern Conference Finals. So... Obviously, one of these two teams has to make it. <laughs> um, but this series turned out to be, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the better series 
in the playoffs. Now, it could have been really looking like a sweep, but last night's game, uh, say last night meaning Thursday night, that game was insane. Now, let's take a look real quick. As per Bovada Sportsbook, they have the Raptors as a plus 600 to win the Eastern Conference and the Celtics as a plus 165. So right now, they have the Celtics actually as the favorite to come out of the East. And I think that is a big uh, endorsement um, because we all know odds makers and everything. There's a lot of science that goes behind that to really bring out the best odds. I think that's a, a huge in and of itself, especially after the fact that the Raptors came back and did force it to become a 2-1 series instead of a 3-0. Now, the one big reason why I really like this series is because it is a big-time defensive series. We have kind of gotten accustomed to uh, especially in the bubble, teams putting up ridiculous amounts of points. I mean, the Raptors put up like 150 uh, the last game they played the Nets. Um, the The Rockets have been cr scoring crazy amounts. The The Clippers and the whole Western Conference have been scoring crazy amounts. We saw, you know, the Nuggets versus the Jazz when Jamal Murray put up, you know, 40 and, and Donovan Mitchell put up 50. And th there's been a lot of that going on. But... Game one, I mean, the most either of these teams have scored so far in these three games is 112 when the Celtics, I mean, beat the Raptors by a, a good deficit, 112 to 94 in the first game. Since then, it's been a three-point game in game two and then a one-point game in game three. And I think that the overall theme of this is just it's the Raptors not shooting well. Um... There, well, if uh, according to basketball reference, if you look at the four factors, Boston is leading Toronto in their effective field goal percentage in this series 53.9% compared to 47.7%. If you've watched, especially the big three guys for Toronto, their shooting percentages have been awful. Now, Lowry's 45% from the floor, which isn't bad, but he's 15% from three point. He's three for 20. Awful. <laughs> um, Fred Van Vliet especially been awful. 33% from the floor, 27.8% from three. And then Siakam, 36% from the floor, 18.2% from three. You're not going to win many games against anybody, let alone the Celtics, when you're big three guys are shooting all under 28% from three individually, and the best one of them is shooting 45% from the floor overall, and the other two are sub-37. Um, one saving grace has been OG Anunoby, and I'm not only talking about last night's game. OG has been shooting 57% from the floor, 57% from three, putting up 14 points a game, 8 rebounds, 1 steal, 1 block. He's been big time defensively. He has come up in the clutch, as we saw last night, with 0.5 seconds on the clock. Kyle Lowry had an amazing... I mean, 
let's not downplay the fact that the pass from Lowry over top of Taco Fall is nothing short of amazing. That was a great, great pass. And then OG hits the shot, gives the Raptors the win, makes it 2-1 instead of 3-0, which is a big deal. 2-1 compared to 3-0 is not only a big deal mentally for the Raptors, but it's a big deal mentally for the Celtics too, because now one game, it's tied. That, that's it. Instead of the other way around, where it's one game, we win the series. That is a big, big difference in mentality, in attacking the next game and attacking the rest of the series moving forward. Um, some other guys that are still coming up very well for the Raptors are Serge Ibaka. Um, Norman Powell has not been coming up on offense uh, as good as he normally was, but he's still putting in some decent defensive minutes. Marc Gasol is giving you exactly what you would want from Marcus Gasol. Like, he's not giving you everything that the prime Marcus Gasol would have given you. However, he is the steadying force still, and he's able to really steady the team come crunch time and everything as well, along with Kyle Lowry. Now, Kyle Lowry, despite his three-point shooting woes, putting up 21 points, five rebounds, seven assists, two steals a game. And the good thing about those three guys, Lowry, Van Vliet, and Pascal, they're all three of them each uh, uh, averaging two steals a game. So you got six steals coming from those three despite their shooting struggles. And that is a big reason why, going back to the four factors, that the Celtics are actually uh, uh, underneath Toronto in turnover percentage. The Celtics are giving up the ball 16.3% of the time, whereas Toronto is only giving it up 11.8% of the time. So as you can see, just based off the turnover percentage stat, the reason that, like, you can see that the reason that Toronto's not scoring as much is not because they're giving up the ball. They're not giving up easy transition points. They're not giving up a bunch of points off of turnovers. It's just the fact that the shots aren't falling. Now, granted, that still means it's pretty good defense from Boston because they're forcing tougher shots most of the time. But making that, uh, um, you know, drawing that line and seeing the result of it shows that the moment shots start falling for Toronto means it's bad for Boston, especially the fact that it's a 5% difference in turnover percentage. It might not sound like a lot, but when it comes to giving up the ball, giving up transition points, giving up easier buckets, it becomes a lot in the long run. So um, looking at the advanced stats, it's pretty crazy because OG Anunobi has a 130 offensive rating and a 104 defensive rating, which is one of the best on the team. Um, but then you have Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam at 89 offensive ratings for both of them. Again, awful. True shooting percentages, they're both at about 44, while Lowry's at 53, OG's at 73, Abaka's at 57, uh, Marcus Hall's at 52. Um, just overall getting better shots. But going back to the Celtics side, now, their big three, on the other hand, Jason Tatum, 
23 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, 1 steal a game, shooting 42% from the floor, 43.8% from 3, 90% from the free throw line. I mean, Tatum has been on a tear this the, the whole time he's been in the bubble except that very first game before he got a haircut. Um, but especially in the playoffs, Tatum has been on an absolute tear. If anyone tells you he's not the number one guy on the Celtics, they're lying to you. Straight out. They are flat out lying to you. Because, uh, like, you can try and say Kemba, you can try and say, you know, Jalen Brown's like 1A, 1B, but no. Clear cut, number one, Jason Tatum. Kemba still playing very well himself, though. 47% from the floor, 40% from three, 21 points a game, four rebounds, five assists, one steal. Jalen Brown also 44% from the floor, only 31% from three, so he hasn't been shooting it all that well um, from, from beyond the arc, but still 17 points, eight rebounds, two assists, one steal a game. And Marcus Smart, I think, honestly, is the X factor, and so far, I think he's the MVP of this series, to be honest with you. 17 points, four rebounds, three assists, one steal, almost a block, uh, per game, 42% from the floor, 44.8 from three. And, I mean, he was the reason that the Celtics won game two. Those uh, those threes he drained from uh, in the fourth quarter, I mean, he was just going crazy. He was hot. He just wasn't missing. He was the reason that they won. And on top of that, Marcus Smart and Kyle Lowry are kind of like the same type of role for each team because... I mean, I know, like, Lowry's, like, the, the de facto starter, starting point guard, one of their main stars. Marcus Smart isn't exactly that. However, they're both the bulldog type of defender. They can defend a lot of different positions because they get after the ball a lot. And they'll give you a lot of the hustle plays and a lot of the uh, down-and-dirty plays that other guys normally don't give you. Um, so they are very similar in that way. Uh, also in the way that they are leaders as well. And I think it showed how Toronto won game three because uh, in the fourth quarter, Marcus Smart wasn't doing all what he did in game two. Um, a lot of it in, in game three was kind of Kemba heroics. I mean, even to get them up in the final seconds of the game, Kemba, I swore Kemba was taking that last shot. But he kept his dribble alive, cut across the paint, found a wide-open Tice for a dunk, and it, it got them in the lead. Um, and on top, I mean, Kemba was the leading scorer for the Celtics. He had 29 points in that game. Only three assists, but one of those coming in that, that bucket right at the end. And um, he was the main guy, you know, with the heroics of that game, whereas, like, in that game, Jason Tatum, 5 for 18 from the floor. Um, uh, Marcus Smart was 4 for 15. Those two guys were struggling heavily. And especially if Jason Tatum is struggling, the Celtics seem to crumble. When it doesn't seem as though they can pick up the slack enough if Jason Tatum is not his normal self. And I'm not even saying, like, Jason Tatum has to be on fire for them to win. I'm just saying he has to be more so like his average um, 
like throughout the season and his averages in the bubble than he does uh, uh, because when he's not, the team suffers tremendously, um, especially if Marcus Smart is not shooting well and, and, and doing his thing. And out of the starting five, in terms of plus-minus, Kemble was the only positive on there. He was plus 11. Everyone else was in the negative. And then on the bench, the only two positives were Grant Williams and Robert Williams at plus 11 and plus 3. So um, that all being said, uh, Pascal Siakam had himself a, a better game, 16 points, 40% from the floor. But Kyle Lowry uh, and OG Anunobi, two key key people in this game Lowry had 31 points eight assists four six rebounds two steals Anunobi had 12 points 10 rebounds one assist three steals two blocks and shot 50 percent from the floor 60 percent from three Van Vliet uh he did have 25 points but it was a really the product of a high volume of shots I mean, he was 9 for 22 and then 5 for 13 from 3. Um, but he turned the ball over a lot. He turned it over five times. And he just really wasn't that much of a positive for the team to really keep him on um, as long as the others. So um, it was just a, a tough outing for Van Vliet, which, I mean, he's been having tough outings lately. So it's going to be interesting once he starts picking it up. But with that being said, I also find it interesting because according to Bavada, the Raptors have a higher odds chance of winning the NBA championship than the Denver Nuggets. The Raptors come in at 1,400, whereas the Nuggets come in at... I think it was like 15, 12,000. That's a huge difference. And if you told people that that was going to be um, the odds for these two teams in the beginning of the season, nobody would have believed them. And I feel like everyone would have taken the bet on Denver Nuggets at that point. <laughs> Um, but this, this, overall, this series should be very interesting. I think it's going to be great moving forward and, uh, it should be fun. I think that this next, this, uh, fourth game is going to really decide a lot. And I'm very curious to see if Van Vliet can get out of his slump, if Siakam can, can get out of his slump. Um, Lowry, even though like he's not shooting great from three, he's still been producing in other ways and, and really helping out the team. So I wouldn't exactly consider Lowry to be in the slump for that. So let's go on to the other Eastern Conference uh, semifinal. We have the Miami Heat against the Milwaukee Bucks. The Miami Heat have kind of been exposing them. The game one, Butler put up 40 points. The Heat won 115-104. Second game, Heat won 116-114. And there has been talk from Butler and from just people in general online that Giannis should not have won Defensive Player of the Year because he doesn't normally defend the star player of the other team. 
He normally is the help defender, which he does do a very good job at help defending. I tend to agree with this. Giannis is probably one of the best help defenders you could ever want. I mean, to be honest, with his athleticism, his length, um, you know, the way he can defend the rim if whenever he wants to, that he is a great, great asset to have as your help defender. But it's true, you really don't see him all that much guarding the other star. And part of it might be game plan, part of it might be because he they're conserving him for the offensive end, whatever it may be. Because let's be honest, some of these guys that cover the other star player, let's say, you know, Kawhi or Paul George or whatever it may be, they're taking a lot more outside shots, right? They're not getting bodied as much as Giannis because Giannis is attacking the rim constantly in the post, in the paint, all the time. So you're going to be expending a whole lot more energy getting hit and everything as if you are Giannis than you might be as a perimeter player. And it's been talked that, you know, Giannis has to work on his jump shot, which we all know, we all get it. You, you, in this day and age in the NBA, you do have to work on your jump shot because as many people can keep saying till the cows come home, like, oh, he's still got an MVP and he's like the, the favorite to win a second MVP back to back, blah, blah, blah. Okay, cool. You got your MVPs. Okay, cool. You get your regular, se your, your regular season first seed and you get into the playoffs and disappoint every time. And I'm not saying it's only Giannis's fault. There's other people on the team that also come up short. But what, what do the MVPs and, and number one seeds get you if you don't even get to the finals, let alone win the finals? It really gets you nothing. Like, he has to either just hit the, the paint in the rim every single play and just be relentless every single time, or... You have to develop that jump shot to a part to a point that people really, really have to respect it. Because if we rewatch the series from last season when Toronto faced Milwaukee, they were giving him threes. They were letting him shoot. They were daring him to shoot. He made a couple, sure, but not enough to really be like, oh, we need to cover that all the time. If they if he's going to make a couple a game. Okay, that's going to beat you when you still when your own when you trust your own offense to produce a high amount of offensive output. No, you're not going to worry about that. So this brings me to this conclusion. I think it's really starting to show that Giannis is just a taller Ben Simmons. Maybe a little less court vision, but sure, he shoots, a th he shoots a couple, like a few threes a game. He shoots, I think it's around like 32, 33% from three. But is that enough for anyone to respect it, for anyone to really guard it all that much? No. 
is he going to kill your team with six threes and then be fresh on the other side of the floor enough to cover everyone he needs to cover and block all the shots he needs to block and, and you know, stretch the floor as much as possible? No. Essentially, the Raptors last year really played Giannis the same way they played that they would have played Ben Simmons. Give him space. Lock down the paint cut off his passing angles because okay give Giannis you know his 30 40 points a game just from you know post plays and dunks and so on and so forth you cut off those passing angles force the turnovers don't let the other three-point shooters get open you're really gonna win the game I mean it's really not all that rocket science I don't think and I know a lot of Giannis faithful and even a lot of Ben Simmons faithful are going to kind of be a little upset about that comparison. But to be honest, when you look at it, on the offensive end, those two are quite similar. The, if Ben Simmons just attacked the rim more to get his own points instead of trying to get more assists, he would be Giannis. And vice versa, if Giannis was looking for his teammates more often instead of trying to, to get into the paint and dunk and get into the post, he would be Ben Simmons, but taller. <laughs> I mean, the similarities are uncanny. The difference to me is on the defensive end because, like everyone has been saying, you don't see Giannis on the star player all the time. Ben Simmons has been covering, especially this season and last season, has been covering the either number one or two option of the other team on ball. So I think that that's one of the big differences between those two. However, I still think that Giannis is a taller Ben Simmons or Ben Simmons is a smaller Giannis. Yes, Giannis actually shoots the threes. But they're not great. Like, I'll let, I'll let a 32% three-point shooter shoot the ball. You make him one out of every three almost? Okay. You're going to be taking nine threes just to get 12 points. Sorry, that, that math was terrible. Nine threes to get nine points. Go ahead. That's all you, dog. But anyway, um, I think this series is interesting. I think Miami is going to take it pretty easily, to be honest with you. I think it's going to be 4-1. I'll give the Bucs one, one win, probably like game four, but I think it's going to be 4-1 Miami. Um, oh, and the other thing I was looking at was kind of some stack comparisons between Ben Simmons and, and Giannis. And this season... Ben Simmons shot 58% from the floor. Giannis shot 55. From three, Giannis shot 30.4% from three. And Ben Simmons shot 28.6%. Giannis averaged 1.4 made threes and 4.7 attempted threes. So, again, I say to you, if you are making one three out of every four to five attempts... Be my guest and shoot. So playing defense on Giannis is going to be similar to playing defense on Ben Simmons because you're not scared about their three-point shot. You're going to just back up, cover the lane, 
take some charges if need be, and cut off those passing angles to the actual shooters that you should be scared about. <laughs> anyway, um, and uh, I was also looking at some of those chances. So it, it looks like the, the betting odds are in my favor as well because on Bovada, the Milwaukee Bucks are plus 300 to win the Eastern Conference, whereas the Miami Heat are plus 215. So, I mean, it goes along with the thought process. Um, so, real quick, going to touch on the Western Conference, uh, the Rockets... Oklahoma City Thunder series was very fun to watch. I think that Dort gave a lot of people the blueprint on how to defend James Harden. Um, whether, you know, other people are athletic or adept enough to employ that kind of um, strategy to guard him is a different question, but I think he at least gave the blueprint of it and i think that especially with them facing the who are they facing now the clippers i think are they facing no they're facing the lakers aren't they yeah they're facing the lakers especially with them facing the lakers um i don't know really who they're going to put on him defensively but it should be interesting to see what kind of things Harden is going to do now against the Lakers as compared to what he was doing against Oklahoma City Thunder. I know Harden still put up a bunch of points. It just wasn't very efficient. You can actually see we have a breakdown of that on the Basketball Society Instagram page, so definitely check that out. We have a little breakdown that we did on there. So, yeah, I mean, Westbrook only played three of the seven games. In those three games, he only played about 28 minutes a game, 14 points, six rebounds, four assists. I mean, normal Russell Westbrook things. Um, I think the Rockets are definitely not beating the Lakers, to be honest with you. Uh, I think the Lakers kind of will... I don't want to say it's going to be easy, but I think that it's not going to... I think it'll be... At most, it'll be six games. I don't think it'll go seven, and I just don't. I don't think it's going to be a sweep either. So I think it's going to be either five or six games, and the Lakers end up winning it. Um, and then the other uh, Western series. So the Clippers and Mavericks was fun just to see Luka Doncic pretty much be unstoppable. Uh, playoff P definitely turned to pandemic P, and he was quite bad for most of this series and he definitely could not stop Luka Doncic um the the Mavericks have a very good future however I want to give some credit to the New York Knicks actually because I think the Knicks made the right decision in getting rid of Porzingis if we are going to sit here and criticize a lot of other people on being injury prone and not being able to play enough, especially in, in big time moments, I think we have to bring up Porzingis. He's been hurt a lot. Let's be honest. He missed 
he, he missed an entire season, played 48 games of the 17-18 season, 66 games of 16-17, um, 72 games of 15, his rookie season. Uh, and then he only played three games of this series, of, of the six-game series. So he only played half of that. And we always talk about, you know, like Embiid missing games or Kawhi Leonard uh, getting um, his rest during the season and stuff like that. He should be mentioned more in this kind of, you know, injury-prone list of players because at least the thing is, at least, you know, like Kawhi, Embiid, those kind of guys, they're healthy come playoff time and they can actually give you uh, still productive minutes in those areas and you can still count on them come playoff time. But we haven't seen Porzingis able to do that and we've seen him be hurt a lot, a lot, especially the past few seasons. And it's kind of looking like that the Knicks made the right decision. I don't I, I, I don't want it to be the case that Porzingis is hurt all the time. I, I don't want that. However, when you look at it from a risk point of view and a gamble point of view, and especially with the Knicks, you know, getting this, this very, very good player and dealing him despite the fact that he was looking like a cornerstone player of your team, they might have made the right move. I think that it's kind of... They might have done it. I got to give the Knicks, at least so far, I got to give the Knicks credit on that one. So props to the Knicks for once, because I don't give them props that often. Um, but the Clippers, I mean, Kawhi still looks ridiculous. Kawhi still looks like, uh, if not the best player in the NBA, maybe the second best player in the NBA. Uh, especially after their first game against the Nuggets. They destroyed Denver 120-97. to 97. Kawhi put up 29 points, uh, two rebounds, three assists, two steals, and a block. Shot 75% from the floor and 50% from three. The guy was 12 of 16 and 2 of 4, or uh, uh, 1 of 2, and 4 of 4 from the free throw line. I mean, he was unconscious. The guy uh, was not missing. Um... Pandemic P is still Pandemic P from the three-point line. So they're going to need him come championship time. I'm just saying. Or, or Western Conference championship time, I should say. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't really see the Nuggets nor the Jazz if they did come out as having much of a, much of a shot at winning this series against the Clippers, but I guess it is what it is. I mean, as I said, I was talking about the Nuggets odds before on Bavada, the Nuggets are also plus plus 6,500 to even win the Western Conference, let alone the plus 12,000 to win the NBA championship. So, yeah, that's not great. But anyway... I just wanted to touch on real quick, we had some predictions where we predicted the, you know, the both conference finals, the finals, and then the awards. MVP at this point has not been given out yet, 
But my beginning of the year award predictions, I said the most improved would be Fultz. He did improve. However, I still think the most improved player should have been Graham. Not not to take anything away from, from Brandon Ingram. Ingram had a great season. He definitely improved a lot. I just think Graham... Graham improved so much on his stats, even shooting percentages, taking more shots, and he he deserved it. He should have got it. Um, my coach of the year was. I actually went a little off the beaten path, and I was. I said it was going to be Stotts. Now, Stotts was looking very good in the bubble, maybe because of Dame, but also he was putting his team in the right positions. Uh, but during the season, before everything was paused, yeah, they, they didn't really look all that good. <laughs> he did really help Melo become somewhat of his former self again. So you got to at least give him that. My rookie of the year was actually Tyler Hero. And we all can say that Tyler Hero has had one hell of a season, especially for a rookie. He's an important part to Miami's success, and he has come up clutch for them a lot. And in these playoffs, he'll continue to be an important part of this team. So while he didn't win Rookie of the Year, I think he still is on pace to have one of the best careers in that rookie class. And that's with guys like John Morant and Zion Williamson. <laughs> so... Um, Shout out to Tyler Hero. I did have him winning. Obviously, it went to John Morant. MVP, I picked Joel Embiid. It's probably not going to be Joel Embiid. <laughs> Let's be honest. Um, I don't think he's even selected as one of those three finalists. I think there was the three finalists they named. I think it was Giannis, uh, LeBron, and I forget who the other one is. But it'll honestly probably be either Giannis or LeBron, if we're being honest there. And one of them is way more likely to win the finals than the other. According to Bavada, the Lakers are at plus 240 to win the championship, while the Bucks are at plus 900, especially while Tyler Hero and the Miami Heat are really showing that Giannis can't do much when it comes playoff time, man. Just taller Ben Simmons, like I said. But anyway, that is it for me, guys. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Atlantic Files. Make sure you check out BasketballSocietyOnline.com and the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. Thank you guys for listening, and I'll catch you guys next week. Peace.